0: Hi, this is bill arnold missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight i have several solutions to that situation here are the podcasts from the show you are the best for listening and supporting faith radio this is a special share encore production you can give at myfaithradio.com thank you Welcome to Afternoons With Me. I'm Bill Arnold. I had a contest uh, with university professors who would want to who would win the prize of sitting in with me to talk to Dr. Craig Keener, and
1: Peter Gapster won. <laughs> <been> a shocking <laughs> I development. I think it's rigged. Yeah, I, I think it was. <laughs> I, I drew until I got my name, yeah. and that was the best part of this whole thing. Yeah, your yeah. stuff in the ballot box. I, I totally was, yeah.
0: 100%. Anyway, we're so glad to have Craig back. He's authored 28 books, six of which have won book awards in Christianity Today. But the book we're going to chat about today is um one that as I started reading I literally couldn't put it down and Craig went from being a guy I really admired to first ballot hall of fame
1: guy <laughs> <laughs> because it was, un- it couldn't stop reading it. Yeah, you were, te- you were texting me some excerpts because I didn't have a copy of the book here yeah. this morning, but you texted me some photos of some excerpts, and it was just this breathtaking story. And, I, you know, we know Craig so well for all of his scholarly biblical work, and he's referenced the story of him and his wife, Maidine, and how they met and, and the continents that separated the two of them and all of what went into all of that. And to have it chronicled in a story like this, a biography of their journey, it really is quite the story. I
0: mean, it, honestly, if you're looking for a summer book you can't put down, uh, this is it. Yeah, it's, you know, for it, sure, it reads like fiction, but it's not. It's all true. I, I, it,
1: that's the amazing part about yeah. it, right? And yeah.
0: it just in terms of what they all experienced. Yeah, and the book is called "Impossible Love: The True Story of an African Civil War, Miracles, and Hope Against All Odds." And I think we get both Dr. Craig Keener and Dr. Madeen uh, Keener as well on the program that's today. Amazing. I know we're going to start with Craig. Craig, welcome.
2: See, it's great to be with you, and, and great to have an excuse to have my wife beside me.
0: I know. Is she already there?
2: Hello. I, yeah. Oh, hi. Yeah, it's great. Thank you. Oh, Thank you for, for having me. Yes.
0: Well, first of all, we love your husband, Beyond Words, and now we're so glad to have you on the show as well. <laughs>
2: Thank you.
0: And this book is, is literally unbelievable. I, I started by reading the preface, which I almost always skipped, <laughs> <laughs> and I was literally out of breath at the end of the preface. Um. Well,
2: I'm sorry, I'm
0: sorry to cause respiratory failure. <laughs> <laughs> so w- w- we want to. We we have all kinds of questions, but let's just start by, um, you know, y- Craig. You you guys have written a lot of very scholarly books, but this book, Impossible Love, really is a deviation from what you normally write. It, was it hard telling your personal story?
2: <clears throat> it wasn't. Actually, it wasn't too hard telling my personal story, uh, mine. I'll, I'll give it over to Medina in a few moments. But for for my own uh, case, there were things that were on my heart that I felt like were important for the church to hear, and I couldn't really communicate them completely in, in some of my scholarly books, especially in commentaries. And, and so, I mean, I, I could use them as sermon illustrations and so on, but I really wanted to communicate them, um, but the book gave me an excuse to be able to, to share those uh, things as as we shared our story. Um, <clears throat> now, our love story would be a love story whether there were any adventures or not, but probably nobody would read it because we all have love stories, but Medin had a lot of adventures, and so that's, that's uh,
3: the exciting part of the book. But anyway, um, but- I, think, I think the whole book, I mean, your part is exciting too. I did not think that I needed my story needed to be told at the beginning. So um I just I told Craig, I said, Well, it's okay. But along the way I think the Lord convinced me that there was a voice to be heard, uh, to tell the story that many has have experienced and will not have the opportunity to uh, to tell. So, yeah, that's how it came for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, Medina, I would love for you to just let our listeners know a little bit about your background. You, you were a, a, a PhD student uh, from Central Africa, and this is kind of how the story, you know, it was part of the story, yeah. which is so fascinating to me.
3: Yeah, I'm from uh, Congo Brazzaville. the two Congos, so it's the smaller Congo, and I came to the U.S. as a PhD student after stopping by France where I was doing my studies. So I was an exchange student and that's where I met Craig when I was doing the research on my PhD. Um, And then when I went back to France, Craig and I, we kept in touch, uh, talked a little bit about marriage, um, but we were not sure yet. So I went back to Congo and found myself in a war. And then after the war, Peg and I, we talked again. And then we got reconnected and got married. Mm-hmm. But, but by the way, Medine, uh,
2: her academic language, her first language sort of is French. She also speaks Munukutuba and Kitsangi. I do, so too. So you can feel free to ask questions <laughs> in any of those languages. Yeah,
0: I don't he wanna, has been practicing. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't want to confuse my listeners,
1: but um, we'll talk during the break. <laughs> Medine and I will converse during the break. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Craig what was it like to when you when you left each other in France and now she's heading back into a war torn country and and um what was your what was your communication like in that time what were some of the means of communication and how did you understand your life maybe compared to hers in these situations
2: Well this was um uh, a while ago we're showing our age there, there wasn't email yet at the time uh, but by, by the end of the war there was email but, but not um not when she first went back to france and not when she she first went back to congo so uh telephone was very expensive and you know we mainly communicated through letters and my heart went out to her i was i was praying for her safety I was praying god we'd give her a good husband she was praying that god would give me a good wife because uh, we were friends we we really like each other um but uh yeah, but but I, I wasn't sure. Like, I, I knew that I was called to ministry, and I didn't think somebody could understand my heart or the sacrifices I would make for ministry unless she also had that kind of calling. And so, when I asked Medina if she was called to ministry, she said no. But it was a it was a misunderstanding because by ministry I meant. Some of the same stuff she was, she actually was doing. I mean, she was she was sharing Christ with people on the streets. She was um, counseling people get off drugs, and and she was uh, actually doing open air evangelism <laughs> in the in in uh, in Muslim neighborhoods and and on the streets of uh, of France before she went back. But she thought I meant she had to be a pastor or a missionary, and so she said no, and so that misunderstanding. I've put us behind
0: maybe a decade or so. <laughs> when I was uh, reading the book, and I can't find the notes right now, but I was uh, in awe of the way you would talk about the the way you would try to save 50 cents by walking five miles to your bad job. Mm. Uh, and then you would be starving most of the time. And then because you were going to be teaching or preaching at a church, you would spend a day fasting and prepare preparing for that. And I'm I'm, I'm thinking, <laughs> I mean, if my latte isn't made right, I'm in a cranky <laughs> mood, right? <laughs> I go, Craig, is, he's, his heart is just, it's so, your heart is so real in this book. And I, I learned a completely different side of you. And I, I literally, I, I, every page, I was learning more and more about you and Medina, and I was just f- falling in love with this couple.
3: Thank you. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Medin is easy to fall in love with. I can testify.
0: (laughs) Yeah. There there are so many different messages in the book. You've got uh, the strength of family, uh, the the importance of prayer, uh, the gift of encouragement. Um, I'd love for you to talk about one or two or all three of those.
3: Well, I can talk about family. Um, I come from a tight-knit family. My father and mother became Christians— Uh, first generation in their families, and so for them, it was very important to be together um, as a family, but also as a family that walks with the Lord. And that closeness of the family, that was something that carried us through war, through very hard times. I remember people saying, wow, talking to my father and saying, Papa Jacques, you're very lucky. Some of the some of the people we saw the children left them but your children they could have gone to uh, they could have traveled out outside of the country because they have passports but they stayed because they wanted to make sure that you are cared for and so that's a legacy that um, my parents left us and it's something that I thank God for and it carried us it helped us to be together uh, face uh, whatever was coming in front of us uh, together as a family. Mind you, we had our times so of frustration and uh, fighting, conflict, but by God's grace, because my father was every evening, it was time for us to come together and pray. Well, we started by asking the Lord to forgive us and coming together because we needed one another.
0: Mm. Let me take a break. <laughs> yeah, I want to come back because I've got so many uh, more questions. And Medina, I would love for you to T- tell your story of your of, of your father and the episode with the snake. Uh, to me, that's <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, I'm talking to Dr. Craig and Dr. Uh, M- Medin Keener. They've written a book called Impossible Love, the true story of an African civil war, miracles, and hope against all odds. You're not going to want to miss the rest of this hour. Go nowhere. We'll be right back. This is a special Share Encore production you can give at MyFaithRadio.com. Thank you. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have Dr. Craig Keener and Dr. Median Keener on the show. They've written a book called Impossible Love. Peter, I feel like I'm in a mild panic because there's so much I want to cover in their story. And I want to make sure I maximize their time. Um, but, Medina, I would love for you to share the story. I mean, here you are leaving uh, the country, uh, and and your dad, Papa Jacques, is in this uh, frail, old, green wheelbarrow. It's. I mean, you can't make this up. No, you, you can't, can't make this up. And then I would love to hear a little bit about that, and then also the story of the snake. And when I say snake, I just mean one of the snake stories, because <laughs> there's, there's more than one snake story. And frankly, I've got an appetite for only one snake story. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, yes, uh, when war came, my brother had a car, but when war came, he was out of the town, out of town, and so the only thing that we found was the wheelbarrow, and since my father couldn't walk, we had to push him on the wheelbarrow. Um, And the amazing thing I still remember was the fact that as we were pushing him through the roads, uh, we could hear all the shooting and bombing. But when we came to the place where the two sides were shooting one another, it was quiet. We could see all the, um, how do you call them, the bullets on the floor. But it was quiet, nothing else. And so we were able to pass, pass that. Uh, that place, and then, as we were going up the mountain, we saw my brother, and he said, "You know, I was coming back because I wanted to come and push Papa Jacques on the wheelbarrow uh, he ran He ran for his life when the soldiers uh, came and started to shoot at a house. but anyway, he said, But when I came down the mountain, I felt a voice say, go back up." And when i started to run the two sides started to shoot and so for us it was a sign of god's grace that we were able to push him on the wheelbarrow without all the noise all the shooting because it was a place where we were exposed and as for the story of the snake well let me choose one it also, <laughs> <Please>. shows, god's- <laughs> it also shows god's protection as children Uh, we used to live um, in my father worked on the railroad so we'll go from one village to another we lived in a village uh, called lulombo and it had a lot of snakes and in congo it's not like here snakes are poisonous and dangerous and they can hurt you and so that night and and electricity comes and goes and that night there was no electricity So as children, we were playing, all of us on the bed, jumping up and down. And then we heard my father was coming from his work. And when he came, he had a flashlight. And as he put the flashlight by the door, he saw a long snake, very long. So he told us to just stay on the bed don't move. And It was it was longer than the room. Oh, yeah, it was very, very long. And it was one of those dangerous snakes. And so <laughs> more dangerous than what we usually find. So he had to go back, go to the place where there were um, machetes and holes and things like that, and he found something, a big weapon. I think it was maybe like a hole, and then he came through the back. And while he was doing all of that with his wife praying, We were just playing. We just heard that he said, okay, stay on the bed and don't do anything. And thank God, because if we had panicked, maybe one of us would have fallen on the floor or something like that. And the only thing we realized was when he was hitting the snake, and that's when we froze. But by God's grace, the snake was dead. The children were not harmed. So God was really protecting us.
1: (laughs) Craig, Wynn, I don't know enough about your early life and background in Christianity, but I have to believe that that this expression of faith must have changed your experience on some level in terms of what God is up to in the world around us.
2: Yeah, I, yeah, I was I was converted from atheism, so and Medin grew up in a Christian household, and that's been a blessing to to me to to be a part of her family. Um, but yeah, I, I I grew up unchurched. And when I was converted, I mean, it was a whole new world, because before my conversion, I was like, well, look, you you Christians, you say you believe in God, like 80% of the people in this country back then said they were Christian, but you couldn't tell by how they lived that that they were serious about it. So I said, you know, Christians don't believe it. Why should I believe it? And that that wasn't all the Christians, but, you know, I didn't I didn't know the difference between nominal Christians and real Christians at that point. But you know, I found out that the truth of Christianity doesn't rise or fall on Christians, it rises or falls on Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so but I'd always said, you know, if if I ever found out there was a God I would give him everything and so there was a radically new life. But some things, not least maybe because of my atheistic background, you know, were still kind of a hurdle for me. And so Meeting Madine, and you know, um, I I actually uh, after after my conversion, I had had charismatic experience. Madine comes from a an evangelical tradition that is not officially charismatic, but her African non-charismatic is more charismatic than my U.S. <laughs> <you laughs> charismatic. I mean, like her, her her sister was dead for three hours, and until. Somebody prayed for her and then she came back to life and she's fine. She has a master's degree and everything. Um, so, because they had to depend on miracles because that's all they had often.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I often get the question, Craig, too, like, why don't we see these kinds of things in maybe like Western culture or the United States? Is, is it because. We don't believe it's because we're unpracticed. Is it because we just haven't been mentored in these ways of the kingdom, or how would you explain what seems to be a difference between maybe more Western culture and other places of Christianity in the world?
2: I, I think I think all the things you said may have something to do with it. I, I think also, like some some of my African friends, including my wife, tell me, you know, we we have to depend on miracles in Africa, but um, you have medical technology and so on, that's a gift from God, Mm -hmm. and and you should be grateful for that. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the infant mortality rate, the maternal mortality rate in much of Africa is still ten times what it is here because of the lack of, of resources. And, you know, Jesus cares about those things. That's why he did the miracles in the Gospels. But where he's given us natural means to take care of those things, then we should receive those with gratitude. At the same time, I think sometimes we get lazy, too, because we sometimes we look to God's blessings rather than to God. And so when something really big comes up, we're not used to uh, looking to the Lord for for that.
1: And maybe, Dean too, just in terms of, you know, outside looking in at more Western culture kinds of ideas, did it seem unfamiliar to you compared to the Christianity in which you grew up?
3: Um. Differences, yes. Um, I mean, the, how would I put it? The Christianity in Congo uh, was, I would say, community-centered, more community-centered than uh, individually. H- how do I put it? Uh, I don't know how to explain that. But sometimes there are things where people put more uh, more of the faith in the community rather than in a one-on-one relationship with the Lord. So um, that is something that I got here in the U.S., like to develop that personal relationship with the Lord. I did have it in Congo, and I do have it here, but it's just that like in Congo I had a support system, I would say. Like if if I had something... I will go to my dad and say, okay, I really need prayer for that. And he he will say, okay, we'll pray. And then tonight when we come together, we will pray again. Um, Here, I have to call someone or text someone and some people will, call, will pray with me on the phone. Some people will say, okay, I'll pray uh, when, when I pray with my family. So I guess that's the difference. There are also some other like theological differences and so on, but we don't have to get into all that. I, I pray with you, Medina.
2: Really. <laughs> I was about to say you have a theologian living in your house. <laughs>
0: so uh, Medina, again, remind me of your, your native language from the Congo.
3: Okay, I speak Kitsangi. Uh, That's my tribal language. But Congo has two uh, trade languages. It's called Munukutuba and Lingala. Munukutuba is spoken mostly in the south of Congo, Lingala in the north of Congo. But people will speak, you know, some of it. So basically I speak Kitsangi. And I speak more of Munukutuba because I'm from the south, and a little bit of Lingala because I lived in Brazzaville, which is the capital, and uh, it's a mix of people coming from different parts of Congo.
0: Yeah, do you have a scripture verse that you have memorized in this language that you can recite, and then I can check to see if it's accurate? <laughs> sure.
3: You want me to, to say it now? Yes, I would
0: love. I'd love to hear it.
3: Okay. What, <laughs> what verse is, is it? it? For God to love the word. Okay, good. <laughs> that he gave. Okay, the uh, hara bisumwana and the mosi mutoniati kindi mutu tu munde mumunde au bunga cha baramoni ubili manabili ma.
0: Nicely done. You had all the so punctuation in the right place.
3: <laughs>
1: Yo me John to me sixteen. That's amazing. Oh man. You can't make any of this up. No, you absolutely yeah. cannot. That was yeah. breathtaking.
0: We'll take a little we'll take a little break. We got lots of questions when we come back. And if any of you listeners have a question for the Keeners, let me know what it is. You can text the question to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. If you just jumped in your car, we're talking to uh, Craig and Medin Keener. They've written a book called Impossible Love, the true story of an African civil war, miracles and hope against all odds. And I'm not a voracious reader, uh, but when I picked it up, it's hard to put down. Let me tell you, it's an amazing read. We'll be right back. One thing I love about autumn is that it becomes fall. Wait, yeah, yeah, that's it, the fall fundraiser. That's happening September 13th through the 16th. Your financial support makes this podcast so very possible. Make a gift today at MyFaithRadio.com or texting the word GIVE to 877-933-2484. Thank you again. This is a special Share Encore production. You can give at MyFaithRadio.com. Thank you i'm so glad to be back with the keeners they are uh written a book called impossible love the true story of an african civil war miracles and hope against all odds uh, dr peter kapsner has stayed with me here in the studio which is a delight because we're both big fans of craig and now we're even Bigger fans of Medina, <laughs> yeah,
1: big, bigger fans. We we're you know, talking during the break clearly that if Craig had to go to the barbecue at this point, yeah. we're good at this. You know, M- yeah. Medina can carry the show, no problem.
0: <laughs> Craig, if you uh, seriously, if you got to go fire up the grill, yeah. we understand. <laughs> I,
2: I'm sorry, I don't know how to do a grill.
0: <laughs> so when this book came in, uh, my producer Rosie was the first to read it, and Rosie, I want you to jump on and tell the story to the keeners of how you experienced their book.
4: Oh my goodness. Uh, So it was so fabulous because we have this great opportunity to meet all these people through the show. And Craig and I had hit it off um, in email and we had already been sharing some things. So when his book came, I was excited to read it. I stayed up, I got up, did my morning devotionals, did my walk, started reading. I had a whole list of things to do that Saturday. None of them got done. I had to go to a wedding (laughs) and I was frustrated. So I went to the wedding with my husband. We got home at noon or midnight and he goes, what are you doing? I'm like, I have to finish this book. (laughs) And so I stayed up (laughs) until 4 a.m. and finished the book. And now my prayer partner has it. Three of my girlfriends have it. I had to buy copies. And so I'm just so thankful you two for how amazing your story is, but how relatable you two are in it. And in my Christian walk, I fell in love with the Lord over and over and over again on how he administered to you through your love story. And so Mm. there are a couple things for both of you that really stood out in my heart. And if you could speak to them, that would be fabulous. Craig, for you, if you could just explain, you fast in a way that I have never read before. And I would love to hear more about your motivation to and how you fast. And then Medin, you're in the Congo, you're in the middle of a civil war, you have nothing Nothing, and yet you go and you teach students, and you come in devotion at the end of each day. And where did that perseverance to follow the Lord come from? So I'm going to be quiet now. If you guys can address those, that would be great.
2: Sure. On the on the fasting, um, I did it more back back uh, in those early days where I would fast a day every week to get ready for for my my sermon for my preaching. Uh, because I thought, okay, I want this to change the world. Um, and then later, eventually, I, I would fast for you know certain things. But then I realized there's so many things to pray for. If I have to fast for each of them, I will never eat. <laughs> so I started just fasting as a way of showing God my sacrificial love for Him, and doing that regularly. Um, and I was doing it, during my my study leave uh last year also but it's it's much harder to fast uh when i'm when I'm at home with medine. Her cooking is very good <laughs> so anyway but um but yeah the the motive for fasting eventually became just you know God, I know you hear my prayers, you don't hear my prayers because I fast you hear my prayers because you're my father, but I fast because you know, there are different kinds of tests we go through we have no choice over, but this is a voluntary one where I can just show you my devotion.
3: Mm. Um, I guess the perseverance, for me the perseverance to follow the Lord stems from God's faithfulness because I have seen Him faithful through the years uh, when hard times came. I knew that he was there, even if I couldn't see him or I couldn't feel him, or even if it felt like he was far away. I knew he was there, and so he is the one who gave me and my family the strength to persevere, and he continued to he continues to do it today, mm. yeah.
0: Craig, in the book, I was reading something that you discovered that the Lord gave you when you were praying, and it really kind of rocked me, and I texted it to Peter Kapsner today, and he was equally impacted. But you said, one day in prayer, I sensed God saying this, holiness is a consuming fire. Holiness is loving me so much that nothing else matters compared to me. Mm. Whoa. Yeah, whoa. We don't talk about holiness very, very much.
2: Yeah, and sometimes we think of it as well. Maybe not so much today, but years ago, um, there were some churches that were kind of known for the label holiness. That were they kind of defined it in terms of not wearing makeup, uh, not having beards, not wearing blue jeans, or whatever. <laughs> um, and 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 so I I really didn't like the word holiness <laughs> at that point. And then then I felt like God saying that that holiness. I mean, in the Bible, holiness is being separated to God, and it's something God has done for us. He separated this for Himself. He's consecrated us to Himself in Christ, and so that's why the, you know, the New Testament speaks of us as saints, literally consecrated ones, uh, th- those who belong mm-hmm. to God. But it also says, "Be holy as I am holy." So we're called to, um, to to come apart for God. And and it's not so much a matter of, you know, this detail or that detail, like, you know, not wearing makeup or whatever, but it's a matter of just being so devoted to Jesus and so in love with Jesus that nothing else compares with our desire for Him. And I think when it's like that, when He's just consuming our hearts with Himself and His love, that takes care of pretty
0: much everything else. Hmm. All right. Should we get into the love story part now? for a this? great idea. All right. All right, Medin, let me just say in your, <laughs> in the book, it says in much of, you're going to love this <laughs> in much of traditional Africa, women who do not marry by age 25 are regarded as immoral or cursed or perhaps defective. I was yeah. 31 when I returned home and soon learned that some individuals claimed success in cursing me to singleness, Others suggested that yeah. my standards were too high. A few mocked, so let your God send you a husband from heaven. Another reasoned, why wait for a Christian husband when plenty of others are available? One even advised, just become some married man's concubine. Other single yeah. women are doing it, or be a polygamous second wife. Given the shortage of available men, you need to be realistic about the alternatives. Unbelievable. Yeah.
3: Yes. Yeah. I still remember the young lady who, I mean, my father was coming out of the hospital. We were in the the airport and saying goodbye to him. And she's like, oh, why are you waiting? You think your God is going to send you someone from heaven? Look at me. I'm the second bureau, the uh, concubine of a man who is giving me everything. And I just looked to Jesus and I said, Lord, Please help me. And so, yes, I'm glad the Lord proves proves um, that we can trust Him, and He He has someone for us, and He brings love into our lives. Yes, His love and the loves of the love of people around us, and mm-hmm. Craig's love. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and Craig, you were you you guys were friends, and you were praying for each other. Uh, but when did the when did you start to? Think that oh, maybe that guy could be me.
3: <laughs> well, Craig was very strong headed.
2: No <laughs> well, she she wouldn't she wouldn't agree that she was called the ministry. So that that was, but anyway. No, yeah, I
3: uh,
2: I really liked her and 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 I was really interested in her. But you know when I asked the question, she said she wasn't called the ministry. I thought, okay, I better. I better just leave it there before our feelings get any more involved, and then we won't be able to hear clearly. So uh, I said maybe you know we should just be friends, and I was hoping she would come back to me with, you know, a good reason, you know, to you know go beyond that. But she, she you know, she said, "Yeah, you're right. We should."
3: I'm an African woman. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and, and, yeah, in in Africa, the husband, the the guy is supposed to be the one to push things forward. So,
3: even though I did push things forward, <laughs> eventually, <Because laughs> eventually, yeah, I, I had to get in touch with Craig because he couldn't see. My brother was like, in, what are you and this guy play? You're playing a game. <laughs> Why don't you write to him?" I'm like, "I don't know. It's it's not done. Said, Come on, you have a PhD. You can do whatever." <laughs> <And> I did. <laughs> yep.
2: Just, yep, just like uh, Ruth went after Boaz. Right? Yeah,
3: exactly. So, <laughs>
2: yeah, but anyway, so it did take about 10 years. But anyway, um, she had gone through war, and I was praying desperately for her safety. I mean, I really cared about her. But it was like when I got her last letter that, that said she didn't know if she was going to live or die, that troops were closing in on her town, the letter was actually carried out of the country and mailed from somewhere else by, by someone else. Um, I, I, I just panicked and I was praying so desperately for her every day. And then, you know, I felt like the Lord say, well, um, I, cause I was thinking, boy, if, if I had just married her back then, she wouldn't be going through this. But then I felt like the Lord say, I know you did what you felt was right. I'll do what's best for her and what's best for you. And, then I, a few days later, I felt like you said that she and I would minister together someday in Francophone Africa. And so I was happy about that. And because and, I figured, okay, that means she's going to survive. And someday she's going to, like she promised me, I'll visit Congo and she'll translate for me. And I did. And she did. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but eventually, uh, you know, for, the, for 18 months, I didn't know if she was alive or dead because as they were fleeing through the forest, Obviously, there was no mail. There was no way to get in touch with me. From day to day, I mean, any given member of their family was close to death from from malaria or typhoid or something like that. And Magdine, for much of that time, she was walking through like she was walking five miles a day through snake-infested swamps and fields of army ants and picking the ants off her body and so on just to get food for the for the family. And you know, I, I couldn't get any news from her. I was praying for her. I wanted to go to Congo to look for her, but my French isn't all that good. My Munukutuba, Kitsangi, and Lingala are non-existent. <laughs> so, you know, another Francophone African friend said, you're just going to get yourself killed. So, you know, I was just praying. And in, after 18 months, I get this letter. I'm alive. I'm Edine Musunga. I'm alive. I am edine lusunga i am alive i do not know if that's a spoiler, Spoiler alert that we did survive. <laughs> uh, but anyway, <laughs> but um, after that, uh, things moved much more quickly.
0: Yeah, I want to take a break. I want to come back. I want to find out, Medin, when uh, Craig shows up for the first time in Africa to meet your family. I would assume everything is wrong. The outfit's wrong. Everything's (laughs) wrong. (laughs) But we'll uh, we'll be back in just a minute. Our guests are uh, Craig and Medin Keener. They've written a book called Impossible Love, The True Story of an African Civil War, Miracles and Hope Against All Odds. We'll be right back. This is a special Share Encore production you can give at MyFaithRadio.com. Thank you. Welcome back to the show. We're with Dr. Craig Keener and Dr. Medin Keener. We had a very busy uh, break just now. Uh, We were talking a lot, and I also killed a 10-foot snake in the studio. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm I'm just saying, I'm just saying. So while I strap my knife back to my calf, uh, Peter, why don't you ask a question? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. You know, the,
1: it's hard to recover oh, from that. Oh, bill. my gosh. It's hurting cats. It in is. Hair. It is indeed. Oh, my gosh. I, you know, we were talking during the break, you two. I mean, just the story, you tell these stories, and they're maybe a minute and a half or two minutes long, but you're talking about minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, living out an 18 month journey of walking through swamps and picking off ants. And Craig, you're wondering if you'll ever hear from her again. I mean, I'm just wondering if you have any insights for people that are in the midst of this kind of difficulty in their life where it is that sort of something is ever before you, you know, the minute by minute, you just can't escape it. How did you walk that out day by day?
3: For us, for me personally, sometimes it was just saying one word over and over, just Jesus. Because there were times when I couldn't pray. There There were no words to say because of what was going on, the, uh, the hardship the the pains the sickness um, just the hunger and all of these things and sometimes it was hard to say a coherent long prayer and the only thing I could say was jesus Jesus oh help um, asking him to come and help us and for those who are experiencing hardship um, i I just Encourage them to to call on the name of Jesus. He hears
2: us. Yeah. When I was going through my through my deepest darkness, I mean, before that time, I'd been praying maybe two hours a day. But when I was shattered, this was this was an earlier experience. It looked like my ministry was over, like my life was over. And uh, there was one person who particularly had a hand in that. But I I was I was so broken that. Yeah, I could just out of the name of Jesus over and over. I was encouraged by this, that, you know, I thought that if my faith was ever shattered, I'd be an atheist again, but I knew God was there. My faith in myself was shattered, but God didn't leave me. Even when I couldn't work up any faith or any personal devotion, I was just, just numb. But, you know, I got to the point where, you know, for the first couple months, the fruit of the Spirit held out, and I was praying for the person who had wronged me, uh, just kept loving them, kept uh, going to them gently. But finally, I, I, you know, the Bible says to pray for those who persecute you. I was praying for him. I, was, I prayed that God would kill him, <clears throat> and the Holy Spirit convicted me. And I said, God, that's not fair. I mean, this guy has taken everything from mm-hmm. me. And I felt like the Holy Spirit reminded me of Elijah, how he knelt on the, under the juniper tree. God s- said, God, just let me die in the better than my ancestors. And, and he reminded me of David and of Jeremiah and, the you know, the times when they were so broken. I mean, the people in the Bible were people just like us who they didn't volunteer normally for their trials. They, sometimes they just had to hang on for dear life because it's all they could do. And and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Mm. And in the in the midst of my deepest brokenness, I found out, you know, I may felt like I couldn't go one more step, but each day, His mercies were new every morning. And it was a couple of years before that time of testing ended, but at the end, I could look back and say, God, I know it was you because... I found out how weak I really am, mm. and any ministry you do through me, anything you do through me, it's your gift.
0: Medina, I hope I'm getting this timeline correct, but so this 18 months, you're not being in contact, and you're living in a pretty tough situation, and to the point where you were malnourished, you had had some hair loss and some toenail loss, and Craig finally mm. shows up, and it's like, I'm, 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 I'm not what I once was. Mm. And I thought, boy, that is so tender mm-hmm. and so vulnerable and such a beautiful part of your story. Can you talk about w- what kind of conditions you were in during that time?
3: Actually, the first time when I saw Craig, oh, I had improved much because coming out of war, I was emaciated, um, malnourished, uh, sick with malaria. I had other things. um, yeah, I was really not well. And so I, I, I when when Craig and I we got together, we decided okay, we're going to get married, I went to Cameroon, because in Congo there was no embassy, so we couldn't do our papers there. And I did worry. I said, well, I've lost my hair. Well, I don't look as beautiful as I used to, and I don't know what he's going to say. So when I was waiting at the airport, uh, people were coming out of the the plane. I couldn't even see Craig. I'm like, oh, my word, is he going to recognize me? What is he going to say? (laughs) But... When he stepped out, I just saw his eyes and I knew it was okay. It was really, really okay. I saw the love there and I don't even know if he saw my hair or don't he didn't care. Yes.
1: And Craig, what was it like for you stepping off the plane in those moments to have this reunion after that just agonizing season?
2: Oh, it was it was a relief. I mean I've been praying for a wife for so many years and and praying for Medina to have a good husband and to get the chance to be the husband of one of my closest friends and and ah uh, she she says all these things about what she looked like she is beautiful she's always <laughs> beautiful it, it's, it but it was a big relief
0: yeah. It's just so lovely, and the ways in which you have persevered and what you've gone through and what God has shown you is remarkable. Um, Who, Medin, was one of the most influential people in your life? Was it your dad?
3: Yes. but My brother, Emmanuel, was also. (laughs) My father father really left um, a huge impact in my life. My mom, too. They really, they loved Jesus and their face were, it was childlike. When we didn't have any food, it was just come and pray. I, I still remember an incident during war where we had a family member who has not gone through war, but who used to come to our house every Sunday because that's when we will use a little bit of salt or whatever we had. And that day, we all took turns taking care of my father so that he will not stay alone while the others went to church. And it was my day. I was taking care of him and cooking, and he could see that in my eyes there was a determination that that lady, my father's sister, is not going to eat He looked at me with his tender voice and heart. He said, Mateen, it's only food. Don't, don't, don't have that attitude. Just give her. It's okay. God is the one who provides. I mean, that broke me inside. I realized that I was hardening myself and just becoming like the people I wanted to cut out of my life. Because I was like, she didn't receive us, she didn't give us food when we came. Other people did, and I was doing the same thing. And he taught me and just showed me that, no, as God's children, we are supposed to be different. So, yes, he did.
0: (laughs) If I may deviate just a little bit from your book, I had a listener that said, what is the situation like right now in your home country? Uh, Persecution of Christians, unrest, COVID?
3: I would COVID yes uh prosecution yes but it's more a political prosecution. Uh I would really ask people to pray for the church in Congo to stand firm because in the midst of all the consequences of war it's easy for people to uh remove their eyes from the Lord and look at things. There is a lot of corruption in Congo and so if someone is out there listening, pray for the church to have their eyes fixed in Jesus, and pray for the country that God will help us. Um, it is. It is bad. It is hard.
0: Mm-hmm. I always like to read the last sentence of a book, mm-hmm. and it says, "In light of the resurrection, the beginning of a new creation, the cross reminds us that our pain is also God's pain, and that He is with us in this world, and that hope in Him transcends any." present suffering mm. in christ and by the
1: spirit god really is with us oh i just got chills yeah i mean that's your story right you too i just i think there's so many listeners that that in their own ways and their own stories it may not be quite as extreme as the circumstance you experience but that is the invitation of the gospel at the end of the day
3: yeah yeah
1: yeah It is the yeah,
2: been it's all...
0: yeah craig i'm sorry i interrupted
2: no just that's that's the part of it that Paul spoke of being conformed to, to Christ, sharing also his sufferings and therefore the power of his resurrection, knowing that he's with us and especially what we go through for his name. But even, even in other things, I mean, Christ came into this world, he embraced our situation and his death for us is the ultimate sign of God's love, and his being with us in the midst of our pain and his resurrection gives us the hope that even in the midst of the darkest times, the, the, the greatest brokenness, the, the greatest travesties of injustice and so on, in, in the midst of things like the cross, God is still at work to bring about his purposes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's a powerful story. And what does Y-E-S spell? yes okay yes of course you can be on the show 20 more times
2: you just agreed to it
0: (laughs) and we have it on tape we do indeed thank you so much for being on the show we just have loved it
2: thank you
0: you bet dr craig keener and dr Medine keener have been my guests Their book is Impossible Love. If you're looking for a great read this summer, this is it. The true story of an African civil war, miracles, and hope against all odds. That wraps up our show. Peter, thanks so much for sticking around. This is amazing. It's been a blast. It's been a blast. Big fans of Craig now. We're even bigger fans. Indeed. And his wife, Medine. That wraps up our show. Have a great night, everyone. God bless. As you lay your head on the pillow, know God's working out his great plan in your life, and he loves you, and so do I. We'll see you tomorrow.